0: Alright, good morning, a uh, good chodesh to everyone. We're going to start today with, uh, with the Daf. So we're picking up today on Daf Yod Zayim, Omud Aleph. So the, the shiir is dedicated by Michael Lundelman and his chus of the refuah shalima for Moshe Shapira, Moshe ben Rachel. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, we have a complete and enduring refuah. So we'll say, so let's begin a beautiful Gemara today, starting with the Mishnah on the top of yud So the Mishnah says, So remember again, the nature of the last couple of of Mishnayos is that we're walking through the entire progression of Sota. So at this point in time, at least according to the chronology of the Mishnayos, she has offered already her carbon Mincha. So at this point in time, remember, although we saw an earlier Machlokes about when what exactly triggers the waters, whether it's the drinking of the water or the giving of the Mincha, at this point in time, now now that we're past the Mincha, we're actually moving into the actual preparation of the water. So remember again, the w- Meis sota themselves are prepared. We've already spoken about, you take the water, the earthenware vial, you go ahead, you fill it up with water from the Ki'ar, you take Dirt from the floor of the base hamikdash. And now at this point in time, what actually activates the waters, or I should say, what, what, what gives them their potency is the fact that you're going to have parsha Sota written on a piece of parchment and you're going to dissolve it in the water itself. The the Mishnah is going to deal with is how much of Parsha's Sota is actually written on the parchment. So the Mishnah says, the following, So when they come to write, they call it the Megillah. But of course, in this context, it doesn't literally mean scroll. What it means is they're coming to write that piece of parchment that is going to be dissolved in the waters from where, how, how, how many, how much of the Pesukim, how many of the Pesukim do we actually write? So the so the, says the first opinion in the Mishnah, which will identify as the Tanakhama, which the Imar is going to identify as Rabbi Meir says the following, So lo shachav ish. So, mostly, so, if you look, if you have most of the new Gemara's have the psukim written in the margin. So, you have it's called the Torah, or so if you look over here, by, you should have a little letter Aleph that directs you to the psukim in the margin. So, here you can see the Torah says, <laughs> The coin will, will administer an oath to her, and he says to the woman, <laughs> If another man did not sleep with you, <laughs> the imlo satis, and you did not stray. You did not engage in any kind of impurity. You did not engage in any kind of defilement with another man while while married to your husband. You should go ahead and be cleansed from any of the negative effects of this water. So that's the first part. And then again, according to Mayer, then again, back to the Mishnah for just a moment, then it says, <laughs> we say, now, According to Rabbi Meir, interestingly enough, what you, you skip around in the parasha of salt a little bit. So you write, this first part we will see is actually a positive statement. This positive statement is, essentially, if you did not commit adultery, then the orders will not have an mm-hmm. impact on you. So according to Rabbi Meir, you write that on the parchment. According to Rabbi Meir, you omit the, the phrases, the Torah, you, 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 you omit the instructions. So, for example, when the Torah says that the coin will administer an oath to the woman, you don't write that on the actual parchment. And then you continue, mm-hmm. and then you continue to write the actual curse. Yeah. Hakodesh should give you a curse, the water should come into your. The water should come in literally into your insides to distend your stomach, to cause your thigh to collapse. But he does not write in that parsha, and the woman shall answer amen. So essentially according to Tabimir, according to Tanakama, you include all of the curses. Both of the curses that are explicit curses as well as the curses that are inferred curses. Inferred curses means when the Torah says something positive, if you did not commit adultery, these waters will not impact you. So there is a there is an implied curse in that, which is that if you did commit adultery, these waters will hurt you. So according to Rabbi Meir, you write everything with the exception of instructions and with the exception of the woman's response. That's Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Lo haya mafzik. And I'll say, interestingly enough, Rabbi Meir, say, Rabbi Yossi says, you write the entire parsha. Now, what does that mean? You write the entire parsha. If you look okay. at Rashi, he says Lo haya mafzik Misha Misha hiskil. And Moshe Rabbeinu ish osach ad amein ve ame ad amein amein. Sheyakoseif tzava deveishpiya koineh saisha ve kabbala deve amra haisha amein amein. So what's occurring, Rabbi Yosi? You write the entire section of Sota in its entirety. In its entirety, including again bless you, including the instructions as well as the response of the woman herself. Fine. Rabbi Hudd Rabbi Huda says, Rabbi Huda Omer, call atzma in a call save. Rabbi Huda says, I disagree with both of you, and I think you write actually much less. What do you write? You only write Ella Yitain Hashem, Hashem La Allah According to Rabbi Huda. All you write in the Megillah Sota in this piece of parchment is the actual curse itself. That if you go ahead and you if you go ahead and you have committed adultery, that these waters ultimately again will be a curse in your stomach, in your thigh. So Rabbi Huda holds that first of all, you omit the positive statements in the beginning. You omit the instructions. All you write in there is the actual curse itself, and you also omit the response of the woman herself. So Rabbi, Huda, three-way machlokes between Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Huda. Again, Rabbi Meir is saying pretty much you write the entire parsha sota both the quote-unquote positive statements as well as the curses, the only thing you omit are the instructions and the woman's response. According to Rabbi Yossi, no, once you, write the, once you begin to write this section, you write the section in its entirety. And according to Rabbi Huda, you do, all you write is the actual curse itself, says the Gemara So what are they arguing about? To which the Gemara enters, Bahaikra They're actually arguing in terms of how to interpret a pasuk. The pasuk says, V'kasa V'asa'alo S'a'ila. The Pasik says, you will go ahead and write these curses. against says, so the coin will write these curses in a book, literally on a piece of parchment, and he will erase. He will erase these curses in the water itself. So the Gemara says like this. So mostly what the Gemara is picking up on is it doesn't say the kasav alos eila, rather it says the kasav haalos haela. These the, with a hei in front of both words. So the Gemara says Rabbi Meir savar alos. Alos mamish. So I we'll say, remember, Shita is the word alos. Of course, teaches us that in the in the parchment of Sota, you write the actual curses. Ha the extra hey, l'rabos, klalos, habos, machmas, brachos. So I we'll say, the extra a is a ribui. That ribui comes to include literally. Curses that are inferred from blessings. What does that mean about saying? Remember, Parsha Sota opens up with a positive statement. Then it says, If you did not engage in adultery, then ultimately, Hinaki mm-hmm. be, will be cleansed from any of the negative effects of the waters. So, according to me, Alos teaches me that I have to write the curses. Ha Alos, the extra He teaches me that what? That I have to add in the curses that are inferred from the blessings. Eila, the word Eila. I will say, comes to exclude that I do not write the curses that are found in Devarim. I will say, now, what does that mean, the curses that are found in Devarim? So remember again, in Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu administers a general series of curses for individuals who violate the precepts of the Torah. So I might have thought that those curses should be included over here. Because again, even though this is specifically adultery, she has violated the precepts of the Torah. Therefore, Ela teaches me that he only writes ha'olos ha'ila. These curses associated specifically with Sota, but does not go ahead and record record the curses that are written in Devarim what does Ha'ilah come to teach me? Ha'ilah, the extra he comes to comes to include something else that I exclude, namely the Tzavos. The Tzavos also refers to the commands to the Kohen, telling the Kohen exactly what to do at each part of this process, and Kabbalos Amen. And the woman's response to the Shavuah of the Kohen, where she says Amen. So we'll say, that's shitas Rabbi Meir. Fine. Rabbi Yossi, so Rabbi Yossi pretty much agrees in principle with Rabbi Meir, except for with, with one addition. He says, Rabbi Yossi says the word S, which is also a ribui, although not everybody dashes it, but S, which is also a, S, which is also a word, that comes to include additional things, that comes to include the That comes to include the instructions to the coin as well as as well as the 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 response of the woman of Amen the Amen. So the Gemara goes right there. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, how does Rabbi Meir darshan? remember? Rabbi Meir is the last the, Rabbi Meir was the first opinion. So the Gemara is now asking why doesn't Rabbi Meir Paskin like Rabbi Yossi? Rabbi, Rabbi Meir S lo Darish. Rabbi Meir doesn't darshin' s. This was so before I say. Remember again, not everybody darshens s as a reboy, as as an inclusionary word, as something additional. So therefore again, because Rabbi Meir doesn't darshan it, he disagrees with Yossi. Rabbi, Rabbi Huda. So what is Rabbi Huda darshan? He says, Kulu b'meuti Darish. Interestingly enough, Rabbi Huda understands. I will say, see, here's what's interesting. Only Rabbi Yosi and Rabbi Mayer become the common denominator in their are that they both hold that the extra haze, ha'alos, ha'iva, are inclusionary phrases. They come to go ahead and include something else. And again, Rabbi Yosi takes it a step further. He says s also comes to include something. Rabbi Huda understands it totally differently. Rabbi Rabihuda understands that the hey is actually what? An exclusionary phrase or an exclusionary letter. What does this mean? Rabbi Huda Rabbi Huda all of this as a mute. Alos, Alos Mamish, when the Pasik says that they write the Alos, the curses for the for the Megillah Sota, for the parchment. So it literally means the actual curses themselves of the sota. Ha'olos, the extra he comes along. ute klalos habaos machmas brachos. That comes to exclude the curses that are inferred from the blessings. Eila, ute klalos Torah. Eila comes to exclude the additional klalos, the additional curses that are written in Chumash the extra hey there, ute tzavaos vekabalos Comes to exclude... Comes to exclude the instructions given to the coin as well as the as well as the woman's recitation of Amen va As it says the Gemara, Rabbi Meir Hey Demar Hai Hey So I'll say, interestingly enough, the Gemara now asks in Rabbi Meir Shita. Why is it that in one case, let's say by hay, the hay comes to include something additional? I right? remember, according to Rabbi Mayer, the hey of ha'olos comes to teach you that in the in the actual in the actual paragraph in the actual paragraph of sota, you include not just the explicit curses but also the curses that are inferred from the positive statements. And yet, umashna hai he demayit be. And yet, why is it that by the word ha'olos, Rabbi Meir learns that out, that Ha'alos comes to what? Exclude the curses written in Dvarim. See, so what the Gemara is asking over here, it's a fascinating Shayla. What the Gemara is asking over here is so far everyone's kind of been, um, what's the right word, consistent in their Shitos. We've assumed that according to Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi, that hay is coming to include something additional. Rabbi Huda has a dramatically different sheet than Rabbi Huda holds that the hays are actually coming to exclude. What the Gemara now is asking is on Rabbi Meir, because Rabbi Meir again at the end of the day is saying that the hay of ha'alos comes to include an additional set of curses that are inferred from positive commandments, but yet the hay of but yet the hay of ha'ilah ultimately comes to exclude the 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 klalos in devarim. So what's the shot? How could it be that in one case Hey is a ribuy is an inclusionary word or inclusionary letter, and yet in a second case, hey is an exclusionary letter. To which the gemara says it's not such a shayla. The gemara says it might be digabe ribuyah ribuyah he. Hey, I'm sorry. Hey digabe ribuyah ribuyah he. Hey digabe demiuta meuta he. So I say to which the gemara says what Rabbi Rabbi Yosi, I should say Rabbi Mayer, is not focused. <laughs> On, on generating one rule. What he does is he understands the hay based on the context. Take a look at Rashi for just a moment. So remember again, so when Rabbi, when Rabbi Meir sees the hay, for example, in a place where it seems to expound or it seems to be an inclusionary letter, the ha'olos de kai avikasav. So remember again, when it says alos, so I will say ha'alos is referring to things that are written down in the in the actual in the actual scroll. So therefore, again, it makes sense that because we're already talking about things that are written down, the hey over there comes to include additional things that you write down. On the other hand, the <laughs> miut Beatrabosai again, La and in the other cases where it says Ha'ilah. So Ha'ilah again, remember, always refers to things. Ha'ilah is always an exclusionary phrase. Therefore, I will say what Rabbi, what Rabbi Meir essentially says is the following. What Rabbi Meir says is that there is no one rule for hay. When hay is written in the context where the word itself is a ribui, then the hay amplifies that ribui. Like, for example, ha'alos ha'alos is talking about the things that you're writing. Once we're talking about the things that you're including, the hay comes to teach you that what? That you include additional things. On the other hand, when the word that you're looking at is a miyot, it's coming to limit, therefore the hay amplifies that limitation. And so, for example, the hay teaches you that it's only these curses and not other curses. Okay? So the Gemara says, but I, baha, the Rabbi Mayer michla ata But I'm to say, here's the problem. You see, Rabbi, Meir, Rabbi Meir's sheet is that in the Megillah Sota, not only do you include not only do you include the curses that are explicit, but you also include the curses that are inferred from the positive statements. I says the Gemara we have Rabbi Meir elsewhere on record as saying that, excuse me, that we don't say that you do not go ahead and infer positive statements from negative statements. I will say now, where do we know that from? Take a look at Rashi for just a moment, it's actually quite interesting. So we listen to this. We learn out the concept of a tenai, of a proper condition, from Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruben Remember again, Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruben are settling the Transjordanian lands. Moshe makes a deal with them. The lands are yours, but you must go ahead and go to battle with Klal to conquer the rest of Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe Rabinu says to them, if you go to war with your people, then these lands will be yours. If you don't go to war with these people, then the lands will not be yours. The Yemar is intrigued by the fact that Moshe Rabinu felt compelled to state this in the positive and in the negative. Rabbi Meir is of the opinion that you see from here that in order for a t'nai, in order for a condition to be binding, it has to be what's called a t'nai kafel, a doubled t'nai, which means that you must state the t'nai in the positive, and you must state the t'nai in the negative. Now that's shita, Rabbi Meir. Now the reason you hold that shita, Rabbi say is in order to make the t'nai as explicit as possible. Because you require that level of of explicitness that indicates to you that under general circumstances you do not go ahead and infer negative things from positive statements. If that's the case, then why is it that Rabbi Meir goes ahead and says over here that the positive statements are included in the Megillah Sota? Because he's saying over here that means that the, they're really curses. Because even though they're positive statements, if you didn't do anything wrong then the waters will not hurt you. Even though it sounds like a positive statement, in reality we're inferring from that a curse. But Rabbi Meir is the one who says that we do not infer negative statements from positive ones or vice versa. Everything must be stated explicitly. If that's the case, then why are the positive statements recorded in the parchment of the Sota, to which the Gemara says, this is very interesting, listen to this, because the Torah uses the word Hina I say Hina Ki literally means what? Literally means you shall be cleansed. Now I will say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, Hina below Yud, first of all, interestingly enough, it's written without the Yud, so also "Listen to this. Bless you." So the way the Gemara, Rabbi Tanuchum says, like this: the word "hinaki is written Chaser. It's written deficient, which means if you were writing that word, you really would have written it Hey Yud Nun Kof Yud. So because it's written without a Yud, without the nakudos, it would be vocalized as how Hinki, which is very similar to the word what Hinki. Chinki means to choke. So Rabbi Tanchum says that already embedded in that positive statement is already a Lashon of klala. It's already a Lashon of a curse, saying that ultimately, again, yes, if you didn't do anything, if you didn't do anything, you'll be cleansed. But if you did something, that Hinki turns into what? Turns into a Hinki. Ultimately, turns into a choking. Therefore, again, interesting enough, what the Gemara's saying is that according to Rabbi Meir, you're not really inferring anything. According to Rabbi mayor, he actually feels that the curse itself is written explicitly. In the Torah, in the section of the positive statement. So again, even though the statement itself is positive, nevertheless, again, because the word itself could be so easily vocalized. Because remember, also biblical Hebrew he and ches in many contexts are also interchangeable. So the mice, again, he feels that that word, connoting the punishment, is right there. Therefore, it's included in Parsha Sota. So once <laughs> I suggest. Okay, see so here the Gemara says this machlokes, Just so you know, the way the, the way that the Rambam paskins is like Rabbi mayor in the Mishnah, the first opinion in the Mishnah. Namely, that in Parashat Sota we write the curses, we write the curses, the actual curses, we write the positive statements from which you can infer curses, and essentially we leave out, we write everything with the exception of instructions to the coin and the response of the woman. That's how the Raman Baskins. So we'll say now the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, So I'll we'll say the Gemara gives a little bit of, a little bit of a now. to now. It's actually a very beautiful Gemara. If you have a man and woman together, if they are meritorious, meaning if, if they are privileged, and interestingly enough, what does zahu mean? Rashi says, So if they are privileged to have a good marriage, right? They're they're virtuous people. How does Rashi define virtuous over here? Neither is committing adultery. Okay? So if both of them are faithful to one another, then the Shekhinah remains in their marriage. Again, if there's moral purity within a marriage, then ultimately the of Divine Presence, is there. But if again, there's a lack of morality in the marriage, then they do not, they do not merit to have HaKadosh Baruch between them. If HaKadosh is not there, then what? So, then ultimately, again, a fire consumes them. And take a look at Rashi. Shechina What does it mean that if a man and woman are privileged to, are zochu, what does it mean they have the Shina between them? Look at Rashi. Shechina b'neihem. Shari Chalak eshimo v'shichno b'neihem. Yud bi ve he b'ishah. I will remember again, because the name of God is embedded in Ish and Isha. For Ish, she has the Yud of the name of HaKadosh Parahu, For Isha, she has the He. So if there's peace between them, then the Shechina, right, the Shina remains there. There's the urine and the Hey, if the Low Zahu, and again this is very interesting that Rashi is defining Zahu over here as as not committing adultery, which is just the the context here. So if Lamaisa again, they're not Zochah, if they don't maintain proper morality in their marriage, then what happens? Then look at Rashi. What does it mean if they're not Zochah, then a fire consumes them? Simply, God removes His name from them. Now remember, if God removes His name, removes the Yud from man and the hay from woman, so what's left? Then all that is left is fire. All that is left is destructiveness. Ultimately, again, unfortunately, they'll destroy themselves and they'll destroy one another. We'll say it's just an incredible you in general. Even outside of the morality piece, you see that that a marriage requires a strong spiritual underpinning and a strong spiritual foundation because without, without HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a marriage, without HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a home, really all there is is Eish. All there is is fire, which ultimately is only, only koach is destructiveness. So the Gemara says, Amarava, and Rava says, literally, if you look at Rashi, The fire of a woman is more intense. And has the ability to consume in a greater way and to go ahead and cause her to be culpable more than a man. Where, where, where does the Gemara get that from? Ultimately, again, because in a man's name, in Ish, the letters Eish, Aleph, Shin are separated by the Yud, for an Isha her ish is there already. There just happens to be a hey at the end. See, interestingly enough, Ravah holds that the eight, morning Mr. are well, You snuck in over here, right, snuck in. So what, did you crawl onto the tables? I didn't see you coming. So, so what happens, so again, remember, so for a woman Ravah says that her ish is more intense because her ish is always there. Her fire is always present as opposed ultimately again to the Ish where his Ish is separated by the Yud Between the two letters Amarav, I'm sorry So the Gemara says So why is that? Because, again, in a man, ashteyn isha, the letters of ish are already next to each other, as opposed to in a man where the letters ultimately of ish are separated by the Yud. But also, this is an incredible... This, now, this is a good Sheva Brachas Vart, but don't do it according to Rashi. Right? <laughs> so, so, again, the Vart is a beautiful one without the Znus piece. Right? The, the idea... And, again, it's incredible. It's, it's And it's not just like a cutesy thing. You see what Chazal is saying is that at the end of the day... It was, because, it was, understand... That it's so easy for marriage to turn into me. It's all about me. Everything is about me. So that's an ish, that, that, that becomes a fire of destructiveness. If there's not Avodah Sashem, the whole essence of Avodah Hashem teaches you to be a selfless individual. The highest value in Judaism, really the highest value, is selflessness is living for the other. That's what we aspire for. And the truth is, that is the key to successful marriage, being a selfless individual. See, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there, then you learn the need of selflessness, because that's what Avodas Hashem is. I put my needs on the side, and I put the Rebono Shalom's Olam's needs first. So if I'm able to do that for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hopefully I'm able to do that for a bus of Adam as well. But if I'm not a selfless Jew, if I'm not selfless for God, then I'm not selfless for the other also. So if the Rebono Shaolam is not in my life, he's not in my marriage, all there is is ash. So the Gemara goes weiter The Gemara is a beautiful Gemara Because Avram Avinu said to HaKadosh Baruch An incredible expression of humility I am but dust and ashes Zohu Bonav Lebeis Mitzvos His children were given two mitzvos concerning dust Concerning ashes What were they? Afer Para Sota They were given the merit of Para Aduma The ashes of the Para Aduma and the dust of the sota. Bosa again, you'll say to yourself, what kind of merit is the dust of the sota? So the mice say again, because it is the way that we maintain a moral purity within the home. But there's another dust as well. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have they offered the sota? Zaksa, y so why why is it that the Torah says that we go ahead and that we go ahead and we use Afar, we use dirt for the sota, zachsa. because if she's meritorious, meaning if she did not commit adultery Yotsamimena ben avinu. it's pretty intense, she's merits to have a child like as great as avinu. diksiv be' Afar ve'ifer who said about himself, I am but dust and ashes Lo zachsa. if she did not merit Tachzor afra, then ultimately she returns to dust, she dies because Armavinu said, because he said, in the, in the merit of saying of an incredible expression of humility and saying that I am but dust and ashes, his children merited receiving two mitzvot. What are the two mitzvot? Afer para va'afar sota. Literally, the dust of the paraduma, or I should say, the ashes of the paraduma, and the dust of the sota our But one second, there's another dust as well. The other dust is remember again the dirt that covers the blood, Ki like we saw yesterday. Hassam mitzvahika again is what the gemara calls So again you cover up the blood because that's the obligation, but there's no direct hana. There's no direct benefit. Meaning again, you know, from para aduma, you get you you become ta'ar. From sota, you're able to go ahead and maintain purity in the home. Kisi Adam is a mitzvah, but there's no there's no quote unquote hano. There's nothing I get from it. Look at Rashi, So by sota, again remember, it creates shalom, and there shouldn't be a proliferation of mamzerim the Parah, the Tamar, from So what the Gemara says like this: by offer Sota, Sota maintains purity, moral purity within the ranks of Klal Yisrael, and ultimately, again, we'll see that if she's pregnant with a Mamzer, she and that child died to prevent the proliferation of Mamzerim, which is a significant genealogical challenge for Klal Yisrael. And by by Paraduma, interestingly, Rashi says Paraduma does two things. Paraduma is mitaher; it purifies. And para aduma is mechaper for the chay egel. It atones for the sin of the golden calf. Quite amazing. Never think about it in that context. But Lamais again, as much as I perform a mitzvah, there's no quote-unquote hano. So the Gemara goes weiter. D'arash Rava. In the merit of Avram Avinu saying, this was to Melech's dome, right? When Melech's dome got back all of this stuff. So Melech's wanted to reward Avram Avinu for his valiant efforts in the war. So Avram Avinu says, in Mechut, I'm not going to take a shoelace or a, from, a, from, from a string to a, to a shoe buckle. I'm not going to take from you. Zochu Bonav Lebez Mitzvos. Avram's children, we were privileged to receive two mitzvos. What were the two mitzvos? Shel <laughs> The Tcheles in the Tzitzis, right? Literally the string of Tzitzis Uritsua Ritzuah Shel And the strap ultimately of Tzitzis So we we'll say again I don't know if anyone said Chut I'm not going to take even a, a string So we get the Chut of Sroch now <laughs> literally means like a shoe strap, Right? I'm not, and therefore we got the Ritzuah of Tfilin <laughs> I understand Why we merit Tzitzin Because by Tfilin it says <laughs> Because the Pasek says, the nations of the world will see that the name of God is literally stated upon you. The Tanya Rebbe Lazar Omer, Elut tefillin shabarosh. So Rabbi Lazar Hagodl said, this refers to tefillin shabarosh. That ultimately, again, when a, when a Jew wears tefillin, that tefillin ultimately inspires fear. It will, will inspire fear in the nations of the world. So I understand why that's where word. had moral courage and did not want to take the money of Melech's stone. So therefore, again, gives him tefillin. But again, what benefit is there in the chut of techlas? Let's listen to this. Why is it, why Why, why techlas, right? Why the blue? Why is it that, why Why Kudosh Baruch choose this color more than other colors? Because techlas is comparable to the sea. The Yam Dome the and ultimately the sea is comparable to the sky. the Rakia Dome Lise Hakovvit, and the Raya, the sky is comparable to the Kise Hakovit to the throne of Akadish Baruch but as I say, you see over here what does is that Tcheilas reminds you of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're both say, it's an incredible Musr. So why don't you just say, Dome Why don't you just say that? Because the answer is that in Ruch Nyos, you have to grow in stages. You have to grow in steps. If a person tries to go from here to the Kisiyah they're going to fall flat on their face. But if I go from here and I connect to the sea, and from the sea, I connect to the heavens, and from the heavens, I connect to the Kisiyah then over time, after a series of smaller steps, a person will be privileged to grow in their ruchni. It's an incredible yisod. Sometimes people go ahead and set their goals all the way up here and I'm all the way down here. It's too far of a distance to be able to bridge initially. But if I'm here and I set a goal here and then I set a goal here and then I set a goal here knowing that I want to get here well, at the end of the day I'll get there. So the Pasik says So I'll say again because the gemara now here quotes the Pasuk from Shemos, that literally by, by by matan Torah, that they saw they saw a baruch whatever this means, they saw a baruch and underneath his feet was like sapphire brickwork, hashamayim latohar, and the essence of the sky, the essence of the heavens was total purity, kimare evan demus and also the passage says that it is like a sapphire that the Kiseha had covered appears like. So we'll say again, beautiful, beautiful agartha. I want to share with you something magnificent on that agartha and I first want to finish the gemara then we're going to go back. So it says the Mishnah eno kosei falo ala luach falo ala ala Now we're going to talk about what can you write the actual, the actual paragraph of sota on meaning what type of material. So you can't write it on a board of wood, you can't on a piece of wood. You can't write it on niyar. Now, Niar in this context, of course, doesn't actually mean paper. Rather, niyar means papyrus. You can't write it on diphthira. Diphthira is unprocessed or not fully processed parchment. Only, we'll call it partially processed parchment. Ella ala megillah. You have to write it. Megillah in this context, also means a fully processed piece of parchment. Shene amar basefer. Because the passage says that you have to write the parsha salt bas. basefer. Sefer always means Finished parchment. The inga code safe lobe kummus, lobe can consume. You can't write a kumus. we'll say we'll discuss this, but kumus means like <coughs> gum, a gum base v'loh can consume can consume is another type of ink the common denominator of kumos and can consume is, they're permanent inks so obviously we don't want a permanent ink because unless we want it to dissolve into the water rather what do you write it with? you write it with diyo because the Pasek says that it has to be erased so because it has to be erased you have to write it with a type of ink that can be erased it has to be the type of ink that could be erased. Says the Gemara. Amarava Rava, Megillah Sote, Shakasva, Balayla, P'sula. If you write, if you write the Parsha of Sote, if you write this paragraph, if you write this section on the parchment at night, it is possible. How do we know this? My timea. Asya Torah Torah. We make a gzirshav of Torah Torah. It's Ksiv says over here. By sot it says the Kohen will perform for this entire Torah. Ksiv Hasham and it says over there. The Pasik says, speaking about speaking about the concept of listening to Baysdin and listening to Chachamim, so the Torah says, you shall go ahead based on the Torah that they will instruct you and the laws that they will show you. Ma Mishpat Bayom, so what say it's Torah Torah. So ma Mishpat Bayom, just like Baisdin only adjudicates cases by day, bayom, so that you can only write. The parsha of Sota by day as well. Kasva freya, psula, if you write the parsha of Sota lemafreya, freya. Meaning, let's say you write the psukim out of order. I will say now in this context over here, what you're doing is, you let's say I know exactly that the fifth pasuk goes five lines down. So I'm writing the fifth pasuk, then the first pasuk. So when I'm finished with it, it'll read like a regular paragraph of Sota. But I'm writing the psukim themselves out of order. So the halacha is the parish of Sota. It's possible. You have to go ahead and you have to go ahead and write these curses. Ki the that ultimately again means in the way that they are written in the Torah. Shetika'ba, if he writes the parish of Sota before she swears about her innocence. Yeah. Then the Parashat Sotah is Pasol. emar Because in the order of Psukim, the Torah it says first he administers the oath, then you write it. Kasva i'geres psula If you write it as an i'geres. i'geres means on a piece of parchment, which without sirtut. Sirtut means if you ever look closely at a Sefer Torah, you will notice that there are lines that are etched into the parchment. That's called sirtut. So the Gemara says if you write it on the parchment without sirtut, it's possible. How do I know that? Iger, says, Am because the Pasik says, "Ultimately, again, you have to write it. You have to write it safer. You have to write it in a safer. And sefer, by definition, not only means parchment, but also means also means with sirtes." So we'll, say, we'll stop over here. Again, I'm stopping a little bit in the middle because I want to share with you something very beautiful. So the so there's an interesting idea here. That the Vilna Gon, the Gon, makes an interesting observation. So the Vilna says that if you go back to the Gemara, I just have to show this because I think it's so beautiful. The Vilna says that if you look at the Gemara that said that in the merit in the merit of saying that if I'm not going to take anything from Melachzor from 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 from. Chut um, the adseroch now from a literally a string to a yeah. shuleis to the tchut of tchelas to the string of tchelas and for tefillin rutzua shel tefillin so the gemara says I understand tfilin' because the pasuk says the pasuk says the nations of the world will see that the name of God is referring to you, and Rabbi Lazar says this refers to tefillin sheberosh literally tefillin sheberosh tefillin in the head so the Gra asks why doesn't the gemara say Tefillin Shel Rosh. This refers to that. What do you mean? Sheb Rosh. Sounds like Tefillin in the head. So there's an amazing story. So the, the Grah happens to comment on this, but someone else comments on the Grah. It's actually interesting. So someone else comments on the Grah, it's actually the Pnei Menachem, the gar Rebbe comments on the Grah and they tell story, the following story about the gra. So I'm just going to tell it to you now quickly, just because of time. So I'll just tell it to you, he says like this. He says, So the Gron, Vilna Gron was one time staying over at an inn. And the next morning, again, there wasn't a minion. So the Vilnagon, the innkeeper, who was Jewish, got up to Davin Shachris. And the Vilnagon also got up to Davin Shachris. So the Vilna Gon is davening in his room. Suddenly he hears an incredible rash. An incredible rash. What happens? A bunch of Gentile thugs came into the inn, and Mamish they're beating up the innkeeper while he's wearing his tzil. And Mamish he, he, he's inches away from being from, from from losing his life. What happens? Listen to this. The gon opened up the room in which he was davening. Literally when the gon opened the door and this thug saw the villain, the gon wearing his tefillin, the thug literally fainted on the spot. He fainted on the spot. (laughs) What happened? So afterwards the innkeeper asked the gon, so why did, again, why did this thug faint right in front of you? So the gon said, because I was wearing my tefillin. And the Pesach says, yeah. All the nations of the world will see that a kaddish Baruch Hu is upon you. He saw my tefillin, and he fainted. I asked the innkeeper, But I was wearing my tefillin also. And, I was, and not only was he not afraid of me, but he was mamish beating me to a pulp. Listen to this. no se Besoch Roshi, you know the difference between us is that you wear your tefillin on your head I wear my tefillin in my head. What does that mean Kilomar? Unfortunately, you wear your tefillin. The Gon was a very wise man. He knew people. So I, I, you wear your tefillin without kavana. You don't think about it. Lelo machshava without deeper thought. You, know, when you wear your tefillin, do you think about the fact that you are subjugating your strength, your physical vigor, your intellectual prowess, that you're giving it to Hakadosh So when you wear your tefillin, you don't think about these things. So listen to so the, so the Gon goes on. He. He says maybe the problem is that you wear your tefillin alarosh instead of sheberosh and the Pnei Menachem says that's the pshat in the Gemara, that the Kaddish Baruch who is giving Avram Abinu a bracha, that his children will not just simply have a mitzvah of tefillin but that that mitzvah of tefillin will impact us will change us, will leave a roshem on us and the goal again is not to simply wear tefillin alarosh on the head, but it's to wear tefillin sheberosh, not to wear tefillin alayad, but to wear tefillin shebiad, ultimately again to take the messages of tefillin, you know the mashal says so beautifully, you know what the message of tefillin is? I put it on my, I put it on my muscle, right, which represents my arm which represents my physical vigor I put it over my mind which represents intellectual vigor, and remember on the shal, on the shelyad, it's facing towards my heart so in the midst of tefillin I touch upon emotion, my heart, I touch upon my physical strength, and I touch upon my intellect, and what I'm saying is I'm going to take all three of these things, which are the most important things in my life and I'm going to use them in avodas HaShem. I'm going to use my strength, I'm going to use my emotion, and I'm going to use my intellect to somehow better serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and to somehow better serve my word, my world. That's the message and that's the choice. The gon urges us to not go through life. It's tefillin and it's mitzvahs. Don't wear tefillin and don't do mitzvahs. Alarosh, but rather we should be zochem yeretz Hashem to do all of our mitzvahs, our tefillin, including everything else. Shebarosh. All right, we'll, we'll stop over here. I'm sorry. I wanted to put it in is head, that's true.